Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday afternoon, and um, I'm going to see today to talk about some famous event in history, as you'll see this week. Today's uh, podcast is being sponsored by my good friends, the Marvins. Jonathan Marvin, especially his wife, Dr. Hannah Rocha Marvin. This is in honor of her dad, his yard site. This is a, today's the 25th yard site of uh, Abraham Moss from London, Abraham Moshe Ben Shmuel <coughs> Michal. Um, she told me all about her father. This is something for the British listeners. They'll understand it better than the Americans. Uh, but her dad lived all through the 20th century, was born in 1919. So that's right after the First World War. In the east end of London, for Americans, let's call it the Lower East Side, you know, the equivalent of that, the Jewish neighborhood long ago. And uh, I found it very interesting. He went, like a lot of people, and he stayed at Shomer Shabbos. And, uh, you know, he went to, to the Jewish school, the free school, but then he got into the city of London school, which is, a, which is a good school, which means you had to, you know, in those days, if you had to be, you had to get a, um, a scholarship. So this is what British Jews did then, and they're doing it now. It's not like America. Usually in America, if somebody goes to a public school, especially a good one, eh, you know, stay from. In England, many have. This is just interesting. Um, and at the age of 20, since it would be 1939, just the, the war, he uh, did what you can do in England. Now you can't do it here anymore, which you can become a lawyer without going to the law school. Not in the same way. He became a solicitor. In, in Britain, they have a different system than we have in the States, so it's not even... I'm going to describe the two. Let's call it lawyer type A and lawyer type B. The solicitors and the and the barristers over there they know it, but here they don't. Um, so uh, this is like my father-in-law. Back in those days, Mamish in the 30s and 40s, you know the regular law firms didn't want to take Jews. You know, you know how it was, and so you go on your own, and you set up your own uh, company if you can. That's the Jewish ideal, and he's from that group. Of course, World War II broke out exactly at that time. First, he was in the Home Guard, what we call here in America the National Guard. And then, the interesting thing is, uh, he didn't have to go into combat. He served in the Pay Corps, Paymaster Corps, which is, uh, you know, these are the guys hand out the money. It's also, it's, uh, as Dr. Marvin told me, that means he, he had to make sure, this is during World War II in England, uh, that the widows of the soldiers get their money, uh, which is, uh, you know, obviously an important thing. And uh, therefore, he was spared of that. She said something along the lines. They were like Hasidim. Not Hasidim like nowadays. Hasidim like when I was a kid. Most of the people who were Hasidish didn't go around dressed like this, that, and the other the regular people. But they went to a Rebbe. In this case, the Prema Shlana Rebbe, who apparently set up shop in London in a pub, in a former pub. <laughs> uh, but, um, and he gave him some kind of a bracha to, and, to, the effect, to the effect that you won't go overseas into war. So... That's a quote unquote a safe war if you were in England during the whole war, and he got married in forty seven, and uh, uh, having seen what he lived through, so uh, as an attorney, as we say in America, as a solicitor, 
Uh, so he tried to help the other Jewish immigrants. So, you know, it was a, a huge wave of immigration into England, to Britain, uh, post-war. I mean, a lot of them came over here, a lot of them came to Israel, but there's plenty that came to, uh, to, to England. And if you don't know your way around, obviously the system took advantage of you. And in the best British style, they set up, even though <laughs> his name, who knows, you know, all these English Jews, they do a, a, a more efficient job over there, I've noticed over the years of anglicizing their names than they do over here. And so his firm was Peters and Peters, which probably stood for Petrushansky and, and actually Proctor or something like that. But, you know, it's England. And uh, apparently it was a, a successful solicitor firm. And the chief rabbi, Jacobus, used to use it and all the rest of it. And the main point is, you know, now he has grandchildren who are uh, from Jews. So uh, that, that itself is the story. Now... So thank you for the uh, for the sponsorship and the Shemesh and Ali, as they say. <clears throat> and I'll get down to business. This week happens to be, according to Jewish tradition, not only Zion Adar, you know, that's for sure, that's on Tuesday, but on Thursday is, I guess you call two days after Zion Adar. And in the Shulchan Aruch, it says in Tovkov Pei, where they list all, in Orchaim, where they list all the days you're supposed to fast. So it says that on the Zion Adar, Mace Moshe Rabbeinu so apparently, there was a fast day, or these are days you're supposed to fast. I know people don't anymore, but I mean, you know, I'll just go to what the Shulchan Aruch says. I noticed this because I had some fun in my show. I looked at the Belzer Luch. I told you to go by the Belzer Luch, and there you had cognitive dissonance because when you get to Zion Ador, you know, the Shulchan Aruch says you're supposed to fast. And the old school is, you fast. And uh, the Zion Ador. Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to be traditionally the founder of the first Hebra Kadisha, because, you know, the other Jews <laughs> went for the money, and he went for the Atzimus Yosef. Um, and therefore, there's a long tradition, as we know in Jewish history, the Hebra Kadisha celebrates um, Zion Adar, but they do so with a Seuda, but in the evening. You understand? Not during the day, in the evening. Because long ago, meaning Motzi, Zion Adar, if I can use that expression. So I guess it would be Tuesday night this week. And... Um, uh, when and that's of course because it's you know the the death of a tzaddik is a time for mourning, you understand? It's a time for mourning, and uh, I just happened to be in my shul for mincha uh, on Shabbos. Had a very interesting shear from Abishetz, you know, from the Aristavash, uh, the third drasha, which is fantastic. He really had a whole bunch of home runs. If I had the time, and uh, to go into this, which I don't, and if we were going to go back to Parshas. Shmos, he had some fantastic stuff over there. Uh, maybe I hope I'll remember it when Hanukkah, um, when Pesach comes around. But anyhow, it's the idea that it's a sad day. You understand? Know it says all the misfortunes of Kalisrol, Darizal says, come from the death of Moshe Rabbeinu. On the other hand, Hasidim have a, a, a kiddish. So if you look in the Belzer Luch, it says two lines. One is Misan and Bo, the other one is No Tachlan and all that, which is a Tartid Asasri. But okay, whatever. It's fine. Now, um, but then I also noticed that the Thursday is this business of uh, not celebrating but commemorating through a fast. The Nechlu Kobe Beisham Beisil. Now, what does that mean? So, to be perfectly honest, if you asked me on my own without looking anything up, my first inclination would be to say, what do you mean, Machlug Beisham Beisil? There was a lot of those. My inclination would be to say that it refers to a specific incident. In which we're told this is the Yudches Dover, the, the eighteen decrees, which is mentioned in Mishnayos in the first parak of uh, Shabbos. Many will recall that, 
And, uh, you know, these are the things that Beishamai said that they finally got passed over the opposition base hill. And in Yerushalmi, it says they had big fights over this, even got physical. Amalim Beramachim, Bacharavas, they pulled out swords. So, like you say today, he pulled out guns. And uh, as I recall, the Beishamai killed Beis Hill, knows it got violent. Right? Got, got vi- physically violent. Now, um, that sounds like a day that they would make a fast day because we never do that. It's Vahev Basufa, they always say. You can argue with anybody you want over halacha or this and that, but you don't, you don't pull out a gun and shoot them. So, in my personal opinion, I would say that this very obscure Brisa, which is recorded in the Shulchan Aruch, as I say in chapter 580 or is referring to this terrible event when the arguments got out of hand and Mamash got physically violent, people got hurt and killed. <coughs> got killed. Okay? <coughs> um, some of them, unfortunately, don't feel comfortable with what I just said. And if you look at the regular Shalami, you'll see some that try to elide it and say, well, doesn't mean they get killed them, doesn't mean they really pull out a sword, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. But, Pashim shot, that's what happened. Okay? However, um, it's likely that what they had in mind was a broader theme. And... <coughs> This is the Machlokes of Bishambi's Hill, which the Gemara says was the beginning of the downfall, because there's a famous Brisa somewhere which says, it's Nivamas, I forget, a famous Brisa which says, once upon a time things were great, used to have a basin system, if you don't know the din, you went to the local basin, if they didn't know, they kicked it upstairs until finally you got Sanhedrin Lishka Sagazis, and they took a vote on it, and that was the end of it. Then it was solved, get it? Once the Sanhedrin Hagadola gave a ruling, end of discussion. Uh, I shouldn't say end of discussion, but end of machlokus over the halacha. The halacha is you can do it. If they come out at the end, they say a certain fish is kosher, you cannot say it's treif. If you do, you'll be chayv miso. Now, you don't have to eat the fish. To, everybody can be, what's the expression? A parish, you know, you can, you can you can refrain from doing it, but you can't tell somebody you can't do it. On the other hand, they say something's treif, nobody can challenge that, and so forth. Uh, but then it says, Mishara, famous Gemara, Misharabu Talmidi, Shammai Vihil Shaloshimshu Kotzarchan when there was an increase in the number of students of Shammai and Hill, what you and I call today Bay Shammai Bay Hill. Shaloshimshu Kotzarchan, they didn't serve their masters according to the Tsarach. In other words, they didn't learn properly. They didn't learn sufficiently. Um so they messed up intellectually. Naso Atarsk Rubsamachlukis Bisrol, Vinasa Turgushte Turs. I'm going by memory, but I believe that's what it says. That uh, a lot of machlokas broke out. And the Torah seemed like two Torahs, and more or less, from then till today, roughly speaking, Machlokis is a fundamental issue in Judaism, and, you know, the Satmar does different than Lubavitch, the Spartan do different than the Ashkenaz, nobody can make anybody do anything, the only thing we can do is, like, to, to grudgingly respect the other one's uh, rulings. You know how it goes. Uh, and that, as they get this, look at Elche Shabbos. You can open a bottle cap, you can't open a bottle cap. You can, you can, you can chop up the, the salad, you can't chop the salad. Well, this one says this. Now it says, hey, you know how it goes, that's the world. And from the Torah perspective, that was a negative thing, because they liked it when everybody's on the same page. It's much bigger. Kiddush Hashem looks much more chosh when everybody's on the same page. Fine. What does that mean? What does that mean? So, a famous understanding, and I've seen it since I was a kid, is that the Talmud of Shammai Hill weren't up to par. Now, a, between, compared to us, they were higher madriga than we can imagine. You know, that's the firm way of looking at it. Even the biggest loser in Beishan Beisel was bigger than the Vilna Gong. Okay, fine. But in relative terms, right? In relative terms, they didn't do what they needed to do, and therefore they screwed up in their Kabbalas. So when 
Shammai said this, they got it wrong, they misheard it, they, they miscommunicated um, it, they didn't understand. Same thing with Hill, and that caused all kind of confusion on Machlokas. That is the way that um, it's usually said over, or at least I heard when I was a kid. However, there's a very interesting and famous Rambam uh, who strongly attacks that, as you would imagine. The and it's in the Rambam and the Pirish Mishnais. Hakdam and the Pirish Mishnais. I mentioned this in my show yesterday. Uh, the Rambam, aside from yeah, you know, the Rambam wrote three big books. Agreed. Let's start with that. It's the Pirish and the Mishnah. It's the Mishnah Torah, and then it's the Moranivukim. Those are the three big books he composed. The first one was the, the Pirish and the Mishnah, which he composed when he was in his twenties, late teens and twenties, and. Of course, it's a commentary in the Mishnahis. And he appended to it a long intro, which includes history and Ashkafa and this and that and the other. And it's a classic. Later, he wrote in his 30s the Mishnah Torah, and he wrote a Hakdamah to the Mishnah Torah. More people have seen that than have seen the first, which is a lot shorter and more dumbed down. It's very dumbed down. He has things that aren't that are not correct, clearly for purposes of, of, of trying to meet a mass audience. Now, uh, when he tells over the history of the Tershel Apeb. Now, the, one of the Mishnahis, which, remember, was written in Arabic. Everything the Rambam wrote, wrote in Arabic except for the Mishnah Torah. So, um, the Hakdama, the Pirish Mishnahis, is a classic of Judaism. Whoever hasn't read it is deficient. It's one of those things that you have to read. Um, the Rambam's not the only opinion out there, but he's classic. Very classic. And... You know, he's growing up in a time of Islamic persecution, so he gives a lot of attention to what's real prophecy versus false prophecy, because obviously the Jews in the, uh, against the Muslims in the Muhammad is false prophecy, etc., etc. But he's also interested in finding the Karaites and getting Clark, the Torah Shabbat not from a historicist perspective necessarily, because I don't think he was like that, but nevertheless from a logical, philosophical perspective. Now, if this was a year or two ago, I would say like this: You want to get a good copy, get the uh, Rambam La'am from the uh, from the Moser of Cook, and uh, it was like the last volume or next to the last volume over here. I have mine over here, a Gilches, and uh, they had it with nice with the kudos with like Kahati type notes, and it's very uh, user friendly in my opinion. However, recently the Art Scroll, uh, last year I guess. Came out with the whole thing in English. This is the last volume called Intro to the Talmud. Me, myself, and I, I did the Gerashura Gon in there, which is a little bit earlier, but they also included in it the Rambam's uh, Hakdama to the Mishnah, which really means Hakdama to the Toshalapah, and also his Hakdama to the Mishnah Torah, among other things as well. So it's got the two Rambam things and the Shriya Gon, <clears throat> plus art scroll stuff. Now, I'm only mentioning to you because. This week is the commemoration of this event. It's supposed to be a fast day. So what is this event? At least how the Rambam says it. So I'm telling you this because I'm relying that many of you at least will pull out um, the Art Scroll intro to the Mishnah to see this, which will be on page 514, uh, which is in the middle of uh, the Rambam's intro. And in the best Art Scroll scroll, they try to break it down into pieces and make it understandable to you. So the question is, what does it mean that the Talmud and Shaman Hill didn't learn right, and they started a lot of machlokes. Okay, now um, 
one can be historicist, and that would be uh, Yitzhak Isaac Alevi in the Duras Rishonim. I remember this. And he says it has to do with the fact that they live in the time of Hordus, Herod. And Herod, Herod killed a lot of people, and he wouldn't let the Sanhedrin meet as a unit. And he's got a whole historical construction on there. Like everything in the Duras Rishonim, it's, it's very imaginative, very chiddishtik. Could be, maybe, yeah, maybe no. Uh, if you're interested in all, get a hold of the Victor Miller book, because I guarantee you won't be able to understand the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the Hebrew, most of you. But if you get the Tornation or whatever the other one was called, Exalted People, uh, you can read it in there, because Rabbi Miller really uh, put it for simple English, if that's a subject that interests you. But we're dealing today with a classic, and that would be Maimonides in his Intro to the Mishnah. And again, if you get to page 514, which, which is in the middle of the essay, uh, follow along with me. <clears throat> and he says, And this is so typically Rambam, it's ridiculous. You can basically divide the whole Torah Shavu'ah pen into five parts. And you and I are only going to be interested in three. So I'm going to translate. I'm going to read the translation. Why should I bother? I'll read the translation from the art scroll. The first category consists of explanations received from Moshe, which nevertheless have an allusion to them in the Torah, and which can be derived through one of the thirteen principles. About these explanations, there are no disputes. And when someone says I have a Kabbalah, a tradition is nothing to debate. So basically. And the second category also, uh, So I'm going to skip all the uh, technical stuff for my purposes and simply say that when Moshe came down from the mountain, God told him X number of laws. For argument's sake, let's say 10,000 or 20,000. It doesn't matter. God told him these and these 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 100 rules about sukkahs about Shechita, another couple hundred about Mikvah, and about Kalayim, and about Carbon uh, Pesach, etc. Right? So, maybe 10,000 too small, but who knows. On those dinim, of course, they're not, we don't have a tape recorder, but nevertheless, on those dinim, there's nothing to say. You can't say like this, how do you know you should celebrate Sukkot, you know, on the on the 15th of, uh, what do you call it, the Tishrei. That's what, that's what he calls Although the term is slightly different, but it boils down to the fact that two of his five categories are essentially the same in that there are specific phrases that God communicated to Moses. Right? If you do this and this to the neck, it's not a good shita. That's it. There's nothing to talk about. Either Moshe is a liar or he's telling the truth. If he's telling the truth, God said, you can't do drasa. So, okay, that's it. You understand? Um... You can't light a, a match on Saturday. You can't ask a kash on that. If, if Moshe said, this is what Hashem said, loads of our wish or whatever. That's it. But then, here comes the part that we're interested in, you and I today, in the context of this Thursday. The third category of laws, which Moshe communicated to the Jewish people, consists of those laws that were derived by logical reasoning, about which disputes arose. Okay? So, in other words, these are things that God didn't say to Moshe. 
and the basin would paskin by rove the Sanhedrin one way or the other. And this occurs because logical analysis can lead to different conclusions. So that's very, very important. The Rambam is of the opinion, which is one school of thought in Chazal, that Hashem did not communicate to Moshe every child that would ever exist, and every new invention that hadn't been invented yet, and so forth, but he gave him a discrete and finite number of laws. So there are there is a school of thought that says, that there's no such thing as a question or a halachic point that wasn't told to Moshe, in which case you're telling me that Moshe Benin knew about the internet, he knew about automobiles and rocket ships and corona, COVID, the whole nine yards. I, why didn't Moshe tell anybody about it? He knew he's not supposed to tell. That's a tosis yonder. Now, that's one way of looking at things. However, there are other chazals which say it wasn't like that at all. But rather, as it says in the Medrash in Kisisa, uh, or some Pasuk like that, in which the Klal, he's given the Klalim, that God told Moshe Klalim, general rules, but not the specifics, and he told Moshe the basic logical points, let's say, for example, Kavachom or something like that, and now you're on your own. So, I'm not telling you there's a thing called an internet. When thousands of years from now, if the Jewish people still have Sanhedrin, which we don't. And uh, the question of the internet comes up, or electricity, whether it's fire, or something like that, then, or as we say today, cloning, right? Get it cloning. So you clone an animal. You have to shecht it. New, brand new things. So you guys will figure it out on your own. I gave you the basics, Hashem says, the cloning. I gave you the tools of analogy, how to be Madame Milsa Milsa, and now you pass it on your own. But the Rambam says, that there will be different opinions because it is susceptible to different opinions. Like I always say, would you say the animal that was cloned should be shechted or not be shechted? I can give good arguments this way. I can give good arguments that way. It's a question of what you feel in your kishkas is, is better. Is electricity really fire or is it not? You can make arguments this way. You can make arguments that way. You, you honestly can. And so that's why they had to take it to Basin and Sanhedrin and go by rove. That if it's a halacha, meaning if Hashem told the Moshe what it is, there's nothing to talk about. But if it's one of these cases, then we can debate it. The Ramah says it black and white. Okay? Black and white. That machlokas uh, started, let me see the translation here. Disputes and conflicting analysis arise in matters regarding which we have not heard of tradition. Like I just said before, this is based on the idea that God never told Moshe about internet. And never told him about rocket ships. And the question of when he David Minch on the moon and all this stuff. He never told him. Moshe, were he alive today, or his successors, if we get a Sanhedrin, would be uh, figuring it out themselves. Okay? So in other words, it wouldn't be Moshe that said this and Rabbi Yaakov said that. They'd all be in one council and they'd hammer out a consensus. I will not and the whole shas is full of these kind of arguments. Meaning, this one says you're allowed to, this one's you're allowed to, this one's based on this swarm, that one's based on that swarm. And that's normal. It's expected. It's a lachachila. It's not a bidiyabit. Avo, the Ram, I'm skipping a little bit. Misha Yaksho. However, someone who thinks, somebody who thinks 
that um, the arguments that we have in the Gemara or anywhere else also go back to Moshe. So then why does Rabbi Kiva say this is Mutter and Rabbi Tarfin say it's Aser? Because Rabbi Kiva had heard it this way and Rabbi Tarfin heard it that way. And somewhere along the line, either A or B, either Rabbi Kiva's chain of tradition or of Tarfin's, messed up. And one of them got it right, one of them got it wrong, or something like that. They may think that this argument that now manifests itself in the Machlokas in Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Tarfin, or Rabbi and Rabbi, whoever, simply is the latest iteration of a, of a Machlokas that started long ago based on a screw-up and hear and get wrong. You know, the Rebbe said, this thing is kosher, <coughs> you know. And you know, say, well, did he say kosher? Did he say uh, yosher? Did he say it was treif? I heard treif. I heard kosher. So the Ram says, those who think that way, oh, because of forgetfulness, that one of the two, I'm just making this up, we'll say Rebbe Kiva came from a tradition where they listened better, and Rebbe Tarvin came from a tradition where they listened worse. And the proof text, that such a thing happened is in Sanhedrin. That's where it is. They based it on the Gemara in Sanhedrin in 88, which says, when there was an increase in the number of students of Shammai and Hill who had not served their teachers sufficiently long to learn all they had to teach, there were two increasing, there were increasing numbers of Machlokas in Israel, and a Torah turned into two Torahs because of the many Conflicting rulings. No, there's the world of Beishamay versus Beishel, which is everywhere. So if you hold like that, the Rambam says, this is really an ugly idea. Okay? This is an ugly idea. It's it's wrong. Disgusting. Whoever holds this opinion has no sense and doesn't understand the Ikarm, the basics of the Talmud. And they're doing a pagam. They're casting aspersions on great people from whom we got the mitzvahs. In other words, they're casting aspersions on Beisham and Beisel. It's all bogus. What caused people to have this wrong belief? So in other words, here's Maimonides in the 1100s writing about something that he's encountered very often, which is people say the reason you have Machlokas in the Gemara all over the place is because they screwed up somewhere along the line. Starting with Beisham Hill or wherever. And the Ram can't stand it. He said, This is Maguna, and whoever holds this. And where did this come from? Mir What we would say today, lack of Bikias and Ian. Right? You write a little Gemar here, a little there, a little this, a little that, you think you know everything. You gotta go through the whole thing, Ian, basically, before you open your mouth. Shame Mosu should call Perisham a Kubob, Mipimoshu MS. And this this mistake comes from the fact that people don't draw the distinction that the Ramam drew before, which was, are we dealing with a with a with something that God actually told Moshe verbatim, or are we dealing with something that he didn't, but it's an application of earlier laws, in which case there's going to be difference of opinion, as they say before, whether electricity is fire, or something like that. The Rambam writing, the reader is a wonderful writer. All ye kindness believe Chosavik Shemachlok Beisham Beisel is based on this. So then, what does it mean? Masha Amru Misharabu Tamashavel Tzarcham Rachamachlok Inyazem Avor. 
What it means is Pashat. Shekal Beis Anoshim, Biyosim Shavim Besechel Be'iyan, Obediyas Ikram Shiyotim Metzvarath, if any two people with equal intelligence and analytical ability and the equal knowledge of the principles that produce logical outcomes. So basically, if you have two smart people and they both, and there is a certain subject, and they both know that subject thoroughly, okay? They know the subject thoroughly. So um, in that case, lo no dispute will arise between them based on logic, and if there are, there are very few. For example, Hill and Shammai himself, not based on Shammai, but Hill and Shammai, okay, who are two geniuses, and they knew the subject totally cold. Therefore, there's no hardly any machlokas between them. So they both were A-plus students in philosophy and logic. Therefore, they knew how to apply stuff. And the basic information about what had survived... Um, from Moshe, they, they always had the same command. So using our um, example, they both knew what Aish is, they both knew what the Isra of Aish on Shabbos is, they understood logically what are the properties of Aish. The only thing is, um, and when it came to electricity, so since they understood very clearly what electricity is all about, and they understood what it takes to, to constitute Aish, which is forbidden on Shabbos, and what doesn't, so they both came to the same conclusion that, it, let's say, I'm just making this up, that, that electricity is fire. Because we say there's only three places where Hill and Shaman themselves could not come to an agreement. Everywhere else they could. Okay, so far, so good. So, I always like to say it over this way. That uh, if you, if there's a subject that you know and I know thoroughly well, like arithmetic, right? I know that 15 plus 15 equals 30. That's the end of it. So do you. I think we know everything about that aspect. Now, I'm not a PhD in math, I'm not Alan Turing or anything like that, but nevertheless, you know, for my level and your level, 15 plus 15 equals 30, okay? There's a, there's nothing to talk about. You can't come and, and argue against me. I mean, you know, we both know the subject totally. Avol, okay? But when students became less diligent in their pursuit of wisdom, like I say, instead of learning 24 hours a day, they learn 23 and a half, and their reasoning ability declined compared to Hill and Shammai. You know what he said? Their kohasvara, their logical analysis, analogy building, was weaker than had been the case of Hill and Shammai. So they no longer knew the subject of shotness the way you and I know 15 plus 15 is 30. They no longer knew the, you know, Helcha Shabbos or Helcha Shechita or Mikvah or Nida, the same way you and I know 15 plus 15 is 30. So then, as a result, Nafla Machlokas Be'em Be'yun Al Dvarim Rabbim. Many unsolvable Machlokas has arrived. Okay, let me read the English. When students became less diligent in pursuit of wisdom, their reasoning ability declined compared to Hill and Shalai. Disputes arose between them in their analysis of many matters. I would say analogy, for each one's reasoning now depended only on his own intelligence and what he knew of the principles. Which means, now I'm going to read you the footnote. Uh, although he quotes the Yagashirgan over here. The Rambam is answering, and this is in the art scroll, this is all on page 515, that indeed there were no disputes in the tradition, meaning what God told the Moshe. They were in matters tradition not taught. These had to be decided on basic logic and proper application. 
the Yud Gimelmidus, for example, in earlier generations, even this did not produce many disagreements about the law, because people were so thoroughly trained by their teachers that their conclusions almost always agreed. But this skill takes many years to develop properly, which requires studying diligently for many years under great master and learning his techniques. The students of Hill and Shammar are able to do this because of the military political upheavals that unsettled Israel in their time. That's the uh, Halevi, the Doris Hashanah and Paroch. So when they began applying their incomplete training to the issues of the day, they began reaching conflicting com- conclusions. So this is the Rambam's explanation of how Machlokas popped up. Uh, it was due to unfortunate circumstances, partially due to the students, partially due to the times in which they lived, however you want to spin it. I'm not sure if this is a modern approach. In other words, is it really true if you and I knew everything about H that we wouldn't argue over uh, fire, electricity being fire? I think we might because there are arguments this way and that way. Or better yet, you know, who's the mother according to Halacha? The one who's, who gave the egg or the one who carries it, you know, like they do nowadays? There are there are two ways of looking at it. You understand? There just are. But maybe I'm wrong. And the Raman goes on to say, don't fault them for this, the, the students of Shaman Hill. Because to use modern terminology, not everybody's a filter god. Or as he puts it, we cannot require every pair of scholars in a dispute to argue with the intelligence of Yeshua and Pinchas. In other words, obviously Yeshua and Pinchas, little time Moshe, I mean, were geniuses of a super variety. People aren't like that. Right? Like we say today, you know, you don't have the Ryan Cutler's running around, you don't have the Moshe Feinstein running around, just, just uh, Shlomo Zanarmach. It is what it is. We should not doubt their competence. Kamoi Nechlus in this subject, because they're not like Shaman Hill, because Hashem says you go by Yom Mohen. Uh, that Hashem says you go by who the God is at your time. You can't say, oh, I remember Moshe Feinstein, but he was nothing compared to the Ramah. That may be true, but that's not what you do. You go by who you have in your time. Okay? Anyhow, this is how the disputes popped up in the Shaman Beisham It's not the way you heard it, he says, that there was a mistake somewhere along the line in the transmission. And one of the two opinions is wrong. Meaning one is Emmis and one is Sheker. It's not true. Like I said before, if you argue that electricity is not fire and you can use it on Shabbos, it's not Sheker. Maybe we don't follow that, right? And if the Sanhedrin is alive, maybe they would vote against that. But it's a Svara. If you can give a Svara, it's a Svara. It's not Sheker. It's not like the Rebbe said kosher, but he said <coughs> like that. And one guy said, I heard him say kosher, and the other guy said, no, I heard him say treif. In that case, one of them is lying, or saying something is not true anyway, because he misheard it. The Ram said, that's not what happened. But rather, uh, it's because of what we just described. How wonderful and clear is this matter for anybody who's, who examines it closely. And how important this is. Now, as the Rambam, as a defender of Chazal against the Karaites, the Muslims, and all the rest of them, says, I want to make clear why it is you have all these machlokas in, but it's got nothing to do with the fact that somebody messed up along the way. This issue apparently broke out this week on Thursday. Okay? So if you're interested in what I just said, it's a whole long... I only did give you the tip of the iceberg. 
But the place you want to start is this Rambam and the Hakdama uh, of the Mishnah, which you should make your business read anyway. It's kind of long, but it's very important. And uh, if you want to pursue it after that, then you'll look at footnotes here, there, and the other place. You go online, you'll be able to find it. But this Thursday is the anniversary of that sad event. Once again, I want to thank the Marvins, especially Dr. Hanarach Marvin, and Father's Neshama Shavad Aliyah, Mr. Moss in, in England, and with that I wish you all a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.